1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to
2: continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
3: Two outs, ninth inning. And the 1-1. One, one. Sammy drives one! Get out the tape measure! Long gone! I don't believe it! Sammy Sosa... Ties the game 8 to 8.
2: Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire with just a remarkable season in 1998. Sammy had 66 home runs that season, but he was not the number one guy in the majors. Mark McGuire was with 70. Zach Zadman, Bruce Levine with you. This is Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The Score broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And we're bringing it up because, Bruce, tomorrow on ESPN, there's a documentary called The Long Gone Summer, which looks back at the home run chase of 1998 between McGuire and Sosa. It had been 37 years since Roger Maris hit 61 home runs back in 1961, and that was an even longer span between 60 home runs by an individual since Babe Ruth hit 60 in 1927. But on September 8, 1998, Maguire hit number 62 when the Cardinals were playing the Cubs, In St. Louis, and you look back at that time in baseball history, Bruce, and I think when we were watching it as it was happening, we couldn't believe it because we had not seen power numbers like this, and to have two guys doing it at the same time was unreal.
0: Yeah, you know, I actually was uh, three up until uh, late in the season because uh, Ken Griffey Jr., was off to a tremendously hot start. He ended up with 56 home runs in 1998. I think he had back-to-back 56 home run seasons. But uh, it was McGuire and Griffey to start the year, and then all of a sudden in, uh, Sammy, who was off to you know a, a decent start but nothing great, went from 13 home runs at the end of May to 33 at the end of June, setting the all-time record with 20 home runs in the month of June 20 is the most anyone has ever hit in any month of a baseball season. And then Griffey eventually uh, slacked off, got hurt a little bit at the end of that year. And uh, it was all Maguire and Sosa. And I just remember, uh, you know, baseball being uh, at the forefront, like it never had been for years uh, because of Sosa McGuire. It wasn't just a, a baseball story it became a, An international story with these two guys just belting home runs at the record pace.
2: Right. And we look at it very differently now than I think we did then simply because we know now that that was in the heart of what is now known as the steroid era in baseball. But back then, and you were you were as dialed in as anyone, Bruce, covering Major League Baseball during that time. Was there talk? Because everyone now says, oh, we knew that that was going on. But I don't think we did. Did we know that that was happening while it was going on?
0: No, uh, I don't think we did. Uh, you know, there was uh, uh, one reporter who went to St. Louis uh, right at toward the end of the race and uh, saw something called creatine that was in uh, McGuire's locker. Um, and, uh, you know, that became the talk about Andro and whether it was an over-the-counter uh You know, uh, additive that McGuire was using. But at that time, you know, people have to realize there was no drug policy whatsoever in Major League Baseball and no drug testing. There was policy about different things that you couldn't use, but it it couldn't be enforced. It wasn't tested for. So the first testing uh, became official in 2003 after, uh, you know, the commissioner's office. Uh, yeah, finally convinced the Players Association to um, allow testing in spring training. And if it if it tested over 7.5% of the players, that it would be permanent. Well, guess what? It did. And uh, so then we found out and we started doing retro reporting about what was created four or five years before that and how there was a, taint, a tainted home run record by McGuire, eventually by... Uh, bonds and SOsa so they were they were permanently tainted by this era now to Sammy's credit he never tested positive anywhere okay he's never admitted to doing steroids and the only alluding to him was a uh, leaked story in the New York Times about some of the people in the report uh, that was given to the commissioner's office that uh, there were a hundred guys uh, initially, Testing positive, and Sammy was one of them. That's it. So with McGuire, you have a, t- a totally different story, because you have a guy that has admitted to doing steroids as part of being accepted back in baseball in 2010. That was a requirement for him to admit that he did steroids to be able to come back and coach at the major league level. Um, he's had three different stops in San Diego, Los Angeles, St. Louis, but. Uh, That was pretty much negotiated, Zach. So McGuire is an admitted steroid user, uh, where Sammy, uh, although people will insist that he did it, uh, it never tested positive or the result was never uh, officially published.
2: We're talking about this because tomorrow is the Long Gone Summer documentary on ESPN. After that's done, we remind you, Tune in immediately to 670 The Score because Bruce, you're going to be hosting a special, uh, kind of recapping the long gone summer with Cubs broadcasters Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer tomorrow night, following the documentary on ESPN. But you bring up some great points because, you know, you know, even though Sammy hasn't admitted, I, I think there's a belief, and rightfully so, Bruce, that this was an assault. On baseball's record books mm-hmm. and the superhuman numbers that we saw from McGuire Sosa you saw it from Barry Bonds a few years later when he ended up hitting 73 home runs and overtaking Mark McGuire as the single season home run king and eventually Henry Aaron as baseball's all-time home run king even though those numbers are amazing I, I think and-, and maybe I'm wrong But I believe that that most people around baseball don't consider those numbers authentic. And it's the major reason why many of the players who put up these superhuman numbers during the steroid era are still not in the Hall of Fame. And Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, there are a whole bunch of them that would be no-brainers for the Hall of Fame if not for this era. But what's weird to me is there are players right now that are enshrined in Cooperstown that likely participated and used, but they're in, and yet the quote-unquote record breakers are not.
0: Yeah, there, you you make a great point, Zach, about the uh, hypocrisy of the whole thing. Trying to figure out who used it and who didn't, as Sammy uh, joked in one of his interviews over the past few weeks, and I think it'll be in the documentary. He said, "Well, yeah, everybody was using it, right?" And he laughs. He, and, and he says, "You know, uh, you know, um, you know, people can think whatever they want, you know, but at, from the from that point, uh, you know, you name the the greatest players, some of the greatest players in history. You name Clements." You name Bonds, okay? You name Sosa. Uh, normally, Bonds and, uh, and Clemens are looked at as, well, regardless of whether they uh, had done steroids, they would still be in the Hall of Fame with the numbers they had put up. Unfortunately, we can't pinpoint when they started doing steroids, what impact it had on their games, how many games Clemens won because of it, how many games he could stay in. How many uh, how much st- more stamina he had and the same with bonds as far as his concentration level, his ability to see things quicker because steroids allows your vision to even be better. Um, just the total impact that it had on these players and their were already fine careers. with Sammy, I think he gets ripped off because he was already developing into a he was already, A 30-30 player a number of times before 1998. Um, You know he was he was proud of the fact that he was a a pretty good outfielder with a good arm, and that he was stealing 30, hitting 30. uh, At that point, he'd established himself as a star in another way. Um, It changed dramatically, you know, once he hit the the home run race and Sammy eventually becoming the only man in history to hit 60 or, or more home runs three times. I think the only man to hit 50 home runs or more four times. So from all of that, um, you know, there there might be a slicing and dicing that we'll see in this documentary tomorrow night that could be interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you can go even deeper and look at Sammy's relationship with the Cubs organization uh, since he left the Cubs and it, and it got ugly. I Do you think that he hasn't been essentially welcomed back to Wrigley because of the steroid era or because of the ugly nature of how his Cubs career ended uh, that final season?
0: Yeah, you know, he walked out in that last game. That's according to the Cubs. And, you know, the, the famous video of him walk uh, walking out uh, the last game of that season in 2004 while the game was still going on, showed up on the news that night. Okay, that was uh, that was difficult for Sammy. That was difficult for the people that loved him, watching him uh, leave that day and never again to appear as a cub, as he became a uh, a free agent after that. But nonetheless, yeah. um, I might have that wrong. He might have been traded. Um, but nonetheless, um, the reality was is that. He left under really bad circumstances, and other people still uh, felt that some of it was tainted because of the, the cork uh, cork incident, and the uh, the cork bad incident against the Tampa Rays in uh, I believe 2003. Uh, mm-hmm. So all of that uh, didn't help Sammy. But the, the interesting part with Tom Ricketts and his family is they don't Sammy and, and Tom have no connection. They don't know each other. Tom was not a part of the organization. They didn't own the team in 2000, until 2009. Uh, the only thing that Tom has said is that uh, uh, that him and his family would like Sammy to admit uh, something that might have occurred uh, during his career uh, before he would be welcomed back here. And Sammy uh, uh, pretty much has said, I don't really have much to admit. He said, I'd love to come back. I'd love to be a part of the organization again and uh, you know, come back and see the great fans of Wrigley Field, but he's got nothing much to talk about in that instance. So you know it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this shapes up as we go forward.
2: It is interesting from the standpoint that prior to the group that ended up winning the championship in 2016, uh, you can make a case that Sammy Sosa, for the years that he was a cub, up until uh, the tail end, was as popular of a player as the organization has had uh, on the north side, uh, outside of, of the guys that were part of the 69 team. I mean, Sammy Sosa was that big during his heyday, uh, as as a Chicago Cub, because of hitting 60 home runs in back to back to back seasons, that was a huge deal. And he had a, a flair to his game. He was not a boring player. And there were many years where he was really the only reason, outside of Kerry Wood, that you would want to go and watch the Cubs at at Wrigley Field. And I, I think, you know, it, it's amazing how quickly that's been forgotten. And yet the Cubs organization has done a phenomenal job uh, under the Ricketts' ownership of of making sure that all the old-timers outside of Sosa are a part of the family. And you wonder, after this documentary airs tomorrow night, and I'm interested in seeing what the, the reaction is going to be, is there a renewed interest in in bringing Sammy back to the family because it will ignite the memories, the good memories that so many fans had watching Sosa as a cub in general, but also that, that great home run chase in
0: 1998. Well, you know, some points that you brought up, uh, can be accentuated and there's good points that you brought up Zach. Uh, the fact that Sammy Sosa never took an at bat off. He never didn't hustle the first base. He never didn't run out to his position in right field and embrace the fans before a game he gave uh, baseball everything he had every day that he was out on that field he appreciated the fact that he came all the way from uh san pedro de marquis in the dominican republic uh to major league baseball from a shoeshine boy to one of the most recognizable athletes in the world uh he glorified uh that for himself he uh he was the most proud person in the world. He still is. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a part of the problem here as well is the pride that he has and what he's done and what he accomplished. But uh, Sammy was pretty much the only reason to go to Wrigley Field for almost uh, probably eight of the ten years that he was there uh, because of the fact that there wasn't much built around him. And it was, you know, the old story, the headline, um Hey, what happened? Uh, Sammy hit two home runs, and someone else would say, Yeah, the Cubs lost nine to seven. So, you know, from that perspective, um, he made the Tribune an awful lot of money. That franchise did exceedingly well. John McDonough and Jay Blunt did a tremendous job of marketing Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa did a tremendous job of marketing Sammy Sosa. So, from all of that, I think people have forgotten uh, how important and uh, how essential he was in this town during that period of time.
2: And to me, and I I read an article recently on ESPN.com that said uh, the 1998 season, from an attendance standpoint, uh, didn't really alter baseball's trajectory. You know, baseball had a strike in 1994, the World Series was canceled, Uh, attendance dramatically the next year in 1995, 20% drop in attendance. There was a 6% increase in 1996, uh, a 5% increase in 1997, and uh, a a slight 4% increase during the home run chase of 1998. But I don't think that accurately tells the story. I believe baseball truly rebounded from that 1994 strike, because of what happened in 1998, and it wasn't just an attendance standpoint. The viewership, the ratings for all the major networks, and and all the all the local broadcasts uh, between the Cubs and Cardinals, uh, attendance when those teams went on the road. Obviously, their their home games were sold out. Uh, but I I think to to just say that 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 didn't have a major impact on the attendance growth of baseball would be wrong because I think it made the game. It brought the game to a popularity standpoint that had been missing since the strike. It was a huge year for the game of baseball. And I bring that up because, man, Bruce, just based on the way the owners and players are having difficulty coming to an agreement during a global pandemic just to play games in 2020, I fear for what's going to happen at the end of this current collective bargaining agreement when it expires after the 2021 season.
0: Yeah, well, one thing I think that both sides are going to learn out of this is you can't mess with the fans. And we always knew that the fans are uh, number one and that they pay all the money for the owners and for the players every dime comes from fans or from corporate people every single penny so you you can't mess with these people and if they they decide that you become irrelevant or that you're you're not, you're not hearing what they have to say about how the sport is being represented um, you're in big trouble so uh, you know there's been a downturn to attendance over the last couple of years the last three years um, is baseball headed that way and uh, certainly, Uh, This is a sport that could not afford a lockout or a strike, no matter what side thinks uh, they have something to prove. Uh, If anything here, I hope this season shows them that uh, they should continue to talk and move on in a more productive way because um, just the the game itself, which I love so much and so many fans do, is is being tainted because of the fact that um, people are feeling a disregard for the fan base among owners and players. And you can't have that. You, you just, especially in the economic times that we're going to have right now and moving forward, uh, you can't have that type of uh, feeling coming from the fans. So we'll see. I mean, again, I love the sport. I think baseball's done a great job of uh, you know, coming up to uh, uh, standards here as far as promoting the sport. They have to do a better job of promoting individual players, Zach. Um, they have to market players better without feeling like it's going to cost them uh, more money when they go to arbitration or free agency. It's just, uh, unfortunately, behind the other sports when it comes to marketing their own stars.
2: Yeah, that's everything in in, in major league sports, not just baseball. In, in, in sports in general, marketing is such a huge factor, and people go to see the stars of the game. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's a unique world that we're living in right now with everything that's going on. And and I thought that there was no one better this week who put it in perspective on our station than Theo Epstein. We'll hear what he had to say next. Inside the Clubhouse rolls on on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score.
3: plan savings with three lines of t-mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary
2: cubs radio analyst ron coomer will join us so in about 15 minutes on chicago sports radio 670 The score this is inside the clubhouse broadcasting live from the hyundai studios brought to you by your local hyundai dealers bruce levine is along i'm zach saveman bruce earlier this week Cubs president Theo Epstein sat down with Lawrence Holmes and they had uh, quite a conversation, which included everything that's happening in our world today. You
1: know, if you look at, at the Cubs, for example, um, you know, we don't have a representative number of African-American employees, you know, especially for a team in a city like Chicago. But we just don't. And we might be up to major league averages in those areas but but that's nowhere near good enough and that's part of the problem is that as you know now you look a little bit more broadly beyond the cubs and you look at major league baseball and and our numbers aren't aren't nearly good enough you know we have two african-american heads of baseball operation two african-american managers the percentage of Scouts, the percentage of front office people, they just all fall, fall short, not to mention, you know, the, the the percentage of African-American players in the game is under 8 percent now. So, you know, that, that stuff doesn't happen by, by accident again. It's-
2: After George Floyd was killed, Bruce, and, and the protests started, I, I think it's forced all of us to have some uncomfortable conversations with each other to take a look at, at everything we're doing uh, as individuals, as groups, as organizations, as businesses. And Theo Epstein and the Cubs are no different.
0: Well, you're right, Zach. Uh, you know, I rarely uh, talk politics um, when it comes to this show or on this station because people uh, prefer to hear about sports, even though we get into the business of baseball and the negotiations between the sides. But, uh, you know, it it is a very difficult time for our country, but it's a time as Theo says, for all of us to reflect on uh, what we really think and and whether we're actually people who respect everybody equally or it's a bunch of lip service. And I think I applaud Theo and I look forward to the way that he and the organization move forward on this.
2: Yeah, it's one thing to say it. That's step one. But as you said, step two is action. And at least during the time that that Epstein has been president uh, of the Cubs, when he says something, it is almost immediately followed by action. So it'll be interesting to see the direction the Cubs move in going forward when it comes yeah, and to I'll, overall and I'll also, uh,
0: also say this, Zach. Uh, Tom Ricketts has always been a man of uh, following through on what he says as well. And uh, when he came in and talked about the fact that all the money that he earned would go into the neighborhood, and go into uh, restoring Wrigley Field. He's done just that. Uh, he's caught a lot of hell for other things uh, that's out of his control. But uh, living up to what you say is such a huge thing. It always has been in life, but in particular these days, where uh, everything you you hear out there sometimes really is not legitimate.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's what creates trust. If you live up mm-hmm. to your word, and, and that leads us to to Major League Baseball, and the players clearly lack trust, and I think that's one of the reasons that we don't have a start date for the 2020 season. And Theo Epstein talked about the negotiations with Lawrence Holmes this week on
1: the score. During negotiations like this, and they usually take place out of you know out of the spotlight. Right now, everyone is. Unfortunately, getting a look at how the sausage is made, and, and it's not always pretty, um, especially in this case. So it's unfortunate. We wish we were focusing on playing ball, but um, when when those types of negotiations happen, it's really you know it's a select group at the commissioner's office and 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 the upper tier of the, of the union um, and and their their player executive council that are really most involved, obviously. Just down through the ranks on both sides. But I feel like a lot of people in the game stay in communication and, and talk about the issues, and it doesn't become completely partisan.
2: What's interesting is that Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred this week, before the draft, said there will be baseball in 2020. The issue becomes how many games? Will it be unified in the sense that the owners and players agree to a deal, everyone is happy, and they play a a much longer regular season, or will they be unable to reach an agreement, and then baseball will force uh, the players to play a a 48-game season? And and that doesn't seem like... uh, And I know we're living in unique times, so any baseball is good baseball, but I, I think if they have to play without reaching an agreement, it just Creates more trouble when the current collective bargaining agreement expires, Bruce, in 2021.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you about. I, I don't care about the collective bargaining agreement right now, honestly. Uh, th- there's too many other things to worry about. You know, I, I agree with you that you're correct about that, but I, I, I'm not going to uh, start wringing my hands over something that's going to occur in December of 2021. I'm for the longest amount of season they can put in right now. And also the um, happy, uh, positive approach of players going out on the field, uh, feeling good about themselves and giving the best they can. You always want to think that's happening. But right now, you know, you get that feeling that if they're forced to go on the field uh, with this, uh, you know, implementation by the commissioner, possibly, that uh, you are going to get some reticent responses. And uh, I don't think baseball can afford that. So th- uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I-, I am rooting for a deal to be done where both sides say yes, th- so there's no hemming and hawing a- as we go through a truncated season and a difficult year, uh, the difficult, most difficult year for some people in their entire lives.
2: All right. So let's end this segment on a positive note because Ed Howard got to do something that you wanted to do when you were a kid growing up in the area that anyone who grows up in the area and plays baseball as a kid wants to do, end up playing for one of the hometown teams and Mount Carmel's Ed Howard has an opportunity to do that drafted by the Cubs in the first round. And he visited with Lawrence Holmes earlier this week.
1: No, not at all. I, I embraced that actually, you know, it's- it's a blessing. I got a great opportunity right here to be a hometown guy. You know, um, it, it does add a lot more, but but it, it's fun. You know, I, like I said earlier, I, I embrace that. And I'm um, just going to continue to work hard because, man, it, it's an awesome opportunity. It really is.
2: We had an opportunity to talk to the man who is responsible for him being here, Cub Scouting Director, Dan Kantrovitz joined us earlier in the show, and he talked about Howard having all the makings of being a potential star. And imagine that from the time that that he was a little leaguer. And and to go from that to where he may be as a a major league star wearing a Cubs uniform is something else. Bruce, we got to take a time out. When we come back, a good friend of yours is going to join the program. He's also a good friend of mine, and he's a voice that you always hear during baseball season right here. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score.
1: The line, here comes the 1-0. Swung on, to deep toward right. its on the run toward the corner, looks up. He did it. It's out of here. Sosa with a home run, number 64.
2: Chip Carey with the call back in 1998 on WGN-TV before it was all said and done. Sammy Sosa would finish the 98 season with 66 home runs, but he was not the leader in Major League Baseball that year. It would end up being Mark McGuire. What a season, what a chase, and we bring it up because tomorrow night, the long-gone summer airs beginning at 8 o'clock on ESPN, recapping the home run chase of 1998 between McGuire and Sosa. Following the documentary, Turn on 670, the score, Bruce Levine will be joined by a bunch of special guests to recap what we all would have witnessed, and I'm excited to pay attention to that. Bruce, special guests on the score Join us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park.
0: The color commentator on Chicago Cub baseball, you know him as Ron Coomer. We know him as Coombs. Nice enough to join us today, and he will be a part of the presentation tomorrow night on The Score after this Sosa-McGuire documentary. Pat Hughes, Bruce Levine, Ron Coomer. Good morning, Coombs. Uh, thanks for jumping in.
3: Absolutely. Guys, Double Z, Brucey, how you boys doing today?
0: We're doing great. And, uh, you know, knowing not only that you played in the same era as Sammy, but you were a teammate of his, uh, What, uh, in general, as a teammate, what was uh, playing with Sammy like? He was already a huge superstar by the time uh, you got to play with him. Yeah,
3: it was different. It was the first time I played on a team really the only time, I, I guess, Bruce, that I played on a team where, you know, a guy was at that level of play um, and, and that level of stardom, right, in, in, in Major League Baseball and actually in the country. You know, Sammy, you know, for some of the, the things that the guys didn't like, you know, the treatment and things that Sammy got that were different than the regular players, with that also... Sammy had to do a lot more things and a lot different things. And his time was taken away from him so much more than the rest of us. So there was some give and take from the guys on on this team. And, and then, you know, you, you had to understand after a while, you just saw the, you know, that, that this guy didn't really have five minutes to himself. So, you know, to, to have to deal with all that he did and, and perform to that level, um, was pretty amazing no matter how you look at it whether you know you you throw in the steroid thing or not his performance both of them him and him and mac both you know i know both of them and it, you know it, it was amazing what they were able to accomplish you know
2: coom I, I know that as a kid when when you were watching baseball and you used to see highlights of back in the day uh, of 1961 when roger maris hit the 60 home runs you know every book we've read every video we've seen it always talks about the toll of the obligations that you just talked about dealing with the media the pressure of trying to catch the babe it, it really wore maris out and and he was losing hair because of it right. and then you go back to to 1998 and by this point you're a major leaguer you know how tough it is just to play the game without any outside distractions we saw the pressure getting to Maguire and, and how much uh, he was uncomfortable with the extra attention. Sammy was not. He embraced it during that 1998 season, which is rare, but I, I think it actually ended up benefiting Maguire that he had to share the spotlight so he didn't have to take all
3: of it. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was it was one of those things they were... Um, he did. He he totally embraced it. I think he did a better job of embracing what happened more so than Mark McGuire. You know, Mac was a little more of a um, reclusive guy when all that was going on. And I think that's what happened with him. But Sammy did. I, you know, and I to the point where I mean, he had his own. You know, we had two PR people. We had Sammys. Was Sharon Pranzo right that right Brucey? Right. Yep. And then and Chuck was with us and with the rest (laughs) of the 24 guys, so and the coaches, so um, he did embrace it and and it you know what and it it did him some good to do that because if you if you tried to hide from it, see, I think it would have been very difficult. And and McGuire tried to hide from it at times, whether it be his batting practices, you know, just in the tunnel and not coming out with his teammates to take BP or, you know, not doing any on-field stuff because of the attention Mac was getting. So I think it got to, to McGuire. It didn't, obviously it didn't affect his performance, but um, he it did bother him at times. And I, I thought Sammy, you know, batting practice was like, you know, the 4th of July. Oh, was, yeah. You know, fans were crazy. <laughs> when Sammy, had, you know, hitting in his hitting group was, you know, you just wanted to get out of the way and just watch him blast away. It was pretty impressive. <laughs>
0: You know, uh, Coombs, I, I think Sammy does not get enough credit for making himself into a really good and and in and, and many cases excellent hitter. And that uh, Jeff Pentland, the Cubs hitting coach, had a tremendous impact on him uh, with his philosophy of, uh, you know, kind of saying, hey, uh, you don't have to strike out on that slider all the time. You can hit that ball to right field. And more importantly you're strong enough to hit the ball out of the park in right field. From that philosophy on, when he finally bought into that for Pentland, he became not only a great home run hitter, but just a dangerous all-around hitter.
3: Well, you, he had no holes, Bruce, and to your point. He just didn't, and that's that's what made him incredible. I mean, he would hit some of the longest home runs to right center field that you'd ever see. I mean, that's including the left-handed power hitters. I mean he would just pummel the ball away. I know you know and and what Pent did is he got him to finish it, you know, technically, got him to to really get a full turn in the finish of his swing and got him to let the ball get a little deeper instead of trying to hit it so far mm-hmm. out in front, especially to pitch away. And what it did is all of a sudden to your point that slider that he used to swing over the top of or be out in front of, he would let that ball get deeper. And once he did that, then basically you had one place to pitch him and that was inside and if you if you missed inside he was going to hit a ball 500 feet to left if you pitched him away it might only go 450 to right center so you (laughs) pick your poison you know but um I know I hit behind him some in the lineup and you know (laughs) I would just shake my head to it It was me and Rondell White and and Stairsie and some of us you know he'd be like you're walking to the on-deck circle knowing Sammy's getting four pitches and going to first base. And it's like, well, I guess it's on us today, boys, because we got to protect the big guy. But it was it was entertaining to watch, I will say that. Ron
2: Coomer is our guest here on Inside the Clubhouse. Coom will join Bruce and Pat Hughes tomorrow night following the documentary The Long Gone Summer. Tune in to 670, the score. They'll break it all down and share their thoughts as to what uh, they have seen on the big screen. I'm fascinated, Coombe, by the fact that you look at what transpired in the years after. And Sammy did things we just haven't seen anyone in a Cubs uniform ever do. Back-to-back-to-back 60 home run seasons. And you look at what Barry Bonds ended up doing in San Francisco, and he's been embraced by the community there, even post retirement. It's been a very different story here with Sammy Sosa. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, there, there's a few things. I You know, Sammy left under some difficult situation where he left his team while they were playing the game. I don't know. You know, I've heard a couple different stories about that. I was not there. So I, you know, I don't know. Bruce, you were there. I'm sure mm-hmm. you probably know exactly what happened. I don't. I've heard different stories. So You know, I know that's part of it. Um, The other part, too, Zach, is he's never, you know, he's never confessed to what he did. So, you know, some of that is an issue. Um, And, you know, things have been said on both sides. And I think there were some hard feelings between the organization and Sammy. And, um, you know, at one time, he was larger than life here in our city. Whether you liked it, didn't like it, like it now or didn't like it, he was. You know, him and Mac both were larger than life in our country. Um, and, and really put the game on their shoulders for for a period of time, even though at the time some of us didn't didn't exactly like it, you know. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I was not a fan. It put us put some of us in a very tough position um, to compete at the major league level. So that that's one thing that we'll we'll talk about tomorrow night also. But um, with all that being said, I mean. Um, you got to forgive and forget, you know, forgive Sammy and forget some of the things if you want him back. And, um, and he's got to confess, I think that's probably the big thing for Tom. From what I've heard, I'm not speaking for Mr. Ricketts. But from what I've heard, I I think that those are some of the things that you've got to, you know, kind of cleanse yourself a little bit of some of the things that have that you did. And then maybe we can all move forward.
0: You know that era as well as anybody because you had to fight the temptation to use yeah. steroids and uh, stay clean and be able to stay in the game. Uh, that was what you were alluding to uh, earlier in your comment. And there were hundreds of guys that had to fight it and uh, maybe uh, some of their career was was cut off because other guys were using. But the, the, the great uh, mistake is that Everybody looks at hitters, and I was told by multiple people who represent pitchers that 40% of the users were pitchers, and maybe 70% of those were relief pitchers, and how that dramatically changed the game right there as well. So you were being pushed out not only by great hitters who were possibly using it, but pitchers that were dominating people that were sometimes career minor leaguers before that point.
3: There's no doubt. The whole league was... You know, it wasn't a, a specific position or, or position players that were using. That's for sure. We know that. And, um, you know, the, the thing that the, the steroid era did for a lot of guys that, you know, that used, it was the recovery. You know, it was strength, but it was also recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, you were able to work out, not only play the game, but then work out and then be able to recover in time to play the next day. And for you know us mere mortals who were just playing on, on what God gave us, that wasn't always so easy, you know. So um, those were some tough things to deal with when you saw, you know, guys that you were playing with in the minor leagues, and they then get to the big leagues, and all of a sudden, you know, you you guys you're on even playing scale. You're both kind of competitive, and then one guy takes off, and we saw that a lot, you know, in that time and. You know, I, I'll be honest, in some of the union meetings like we're going through now, you know, when all the players got together in Phoenix and Florida and some of these places, some of those meetings got a little heated because, it, you know, you felt like the protection was for the for the steroid user and not for the guys that were trying to play clean. Yeah, and it took the government
2: eventually getting involved for baseball to clean up its act, both from a league standpoint and a union standpoint, as you mentioned whom do you think that after, after people watch this documentary tomorrow that there will be a, a change in how we look back at that era, how Chicago looks back at, at Sammy Sosa, or do you think uh, the feelings are, are too deep that the way you felt beforehand is the way you're going to feel after?
3: That's A great question, and I don't really have an answer to that. I have only seen just a couple little snippets of of what we're going to see tomorrow evening. I have not seen the program yet, so I'm not sure. Um, I saw Bob Costas's comment in these trailers that we're seeing, you know, run, you know, this week, um, you know, how great it was in the home runs, but it came with a price. Well, you're right. So where do they go with this with with this you know program do they do they just emphasize the home runs and how that goes do they use do they do they show some of the other usages and things and how the game changed because of it you know I, so it's to be determined we'll see what what which way they go you know I hope for our game's sake you know the one thing that I've said a lot on Bruce's show this morning show and you know Zach I've said on the air um, with our Cubs broadcast many times, is I'm kind of tired of hearing all the issues that our game has, and let's just start playing clean and, and good, sound baseball, and and on an even playing scale, right? So, um, glorifying the steroid era is kind of what this is doing, I think. We'll see tomorrow, but and I'm not a big fan of that. So, I was part of that era, and you know, it, it was a it was a time where um, things weren't things weren't great. They were great for our game financially, um, and if you thought people didn't know what was going on, um, you might have your head in the sand. I think I think everybody knew what was going on.
0: What's uh, what are the hours at Coombs Corner, and uh, how can <laughs> people come by and and hang out a little bit right now,
3: Brucey? Right now they can come anytime they want. That's <laughs> how's that.
0: We okay. we need anybody. Okay. <laughs> Don't call ahead. Uh, you'll open up any <laughs> Hell
3: yeah, we
0: we're we're. We're, gonna,
3: we're open today at 11, but right. I'll be out there later today. Um, I'm doing a um, hub show later today, and then I'll be out at the restaurant tonight. I've got some friends in, uh, in that coming out um, tonight, so we'll have a little fun and a and, uh, out. we got some music going tonight, so it'll be good. But, you know, all the restaurant people, I've been here in Chicago now since Monday, and, you know, the restaurant people are all struggling. We had um, some fun last night at Erie Cafe here downtown. Um, I heard our boy Tony was there and uh, then Phil then T and I showed up, one of my buddies, and we hung out. So it was a good night, but we'll be out at our restaurant on Lockport tonight. And, you know, all the restaurant people, are all just trying to survive. So if somebody wants a burger or steak or something, they can come to my place. We'll open for you,
0: that's for sure. Coombs, thanks a lot. We got to go. Uh, we'll turn it over to our good friends, uh, Mr. Rosenbloom and Mr. Grody. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow night. Zach, thank you so much. Uh, We enjoyed it today very much. Dan Kantrovich of the Cubs as well as Garrett Crochet uh, of the Chicago White Sox joined us. We'll talk to you next week on Inside the Clubhouse.